0: You're listening to episode number eight of the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. I am so pumped for you to hear this conversation that I had with Lauren Eyrich, who is a world class bikini competitor turned wellness and self-love warrior. Her and I have walked an extremely similar path with this stuff, minus the whole world class part, of course, but we have both experienced the extremes of fitness competitions and are now both pursuing healing and health above all else. In this episode, Lauren is pulling back the curtain and sharing what it really takes to be a top professional bikini competitor slash bodybuilder and the consequences she has faced because of it. We also share our experiences with trying to heal holistically in the conventional Western medical system. Spoiler alert, it's super frustrating. And last but definitely not least, we take some time to dive deep into what it's like to basically start all over again with our personal identities, our confidence, and our self-worth after leaving a sport that we dedicated our lives to. So as you can tell, this conversation covered so many important topics, and even if you're not interested in the competing world, I know that you'll learn so much from Lauren and her journey of healing and personal growth. We're talking all things personal development, including health, fitness, confidence, relationships, and so much more. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. Before we jump into the good stuff, I have to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Sculpted Strong, which if you didn't know, is my very own fitness app. I just started going through the workouts again myself, and I am having an absolute blast. It is so nice to be able to just open the app, select that day's workout, and follow along with the videos and cues, which were all custom made by yours truly. Sculpted Strong is a 12-week program that focuses on building a strong, toned, and feminine physique while also gaining confidence and feeling amazing from the inside out. Hundreds of women have already seen incredible results from this program, and not to brag or anything, but the workouts are also super fun. So if you're looking for something that will both transform your body and make you fall in love with the gym again, this is the program for you. For more info and to sign up, go to mariewoldapp.com. That's dot com. And because my podcast listeners are just the best, I created a discount code that will save you $10 on your enrollment, and it's PODLOVE. That's code P-O-D-L-O-V-E on mariewoldapp.com. I know that you're going to love this app and this program as much as I do, and I cannot wait to see your transformation. Okay, Lauren, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to sit down and really go deep with today's topics, but I would love for everyone to get to know you first, of course. So can you just give us kind of a summary on your background, your journey, and especially pertaining to health and fitness, and of course, introducing yourself so everyone can get to know you? Yeah, absolutely.
1: First of all, I'm super excited to be on your show. I've followed you for a long time and I know we kind of have a little bit some similar journeys, but I'll start with the beginning of mine. I guess the beginning of my fitness journey. I have been a lifelong athlete and, you know, I've struggled with food for a long time. So, I guess that's really where it starts is I used to just be kind of like a cardio bunny and, you know, I was really restrictive with my food and things like that think a lot of women can relate and i wanted to stop focusing so much on how my body looked and focus more on the performance aspect so i started to get into lifting weights i was very happy with how i felt but i still just wasn't 100% on board with how i i looked you know i was i knew that nutrition was the missing piece and so i reached out to a coach and i started working on my nutrition and from that point, I was putting in a ton of work at the gym. I was doing everything in the kitchen. And this was kind of when social media was... I feel like I had just started using Instagram, actually. And I started running across some competitors and things like that. And I, it was just sort of on a whim. I thought, I'm already putting all this time in the kitchen and in the gym. I'm like, why not? I'll just try a show. And I did my first show in June of 2014. And I did really well. I won the overall and I could just say that I was hooked right then and there. I got my pro card the next year on my first shot and then I started my pro stage career immediately and I competed for two years and I went to the Olympia twice. During that time, from the beginning of my fitness career too, I started coaching people as well on nutrition. So it's a big passion of mine.
0: Yeah. So for people who are listening who aren't very familiar with the bodybuilding competition world, they probably don't understand what a crazy ride that is and how insane it is that you went pro in your first try. You went to the Olympia twice in two years. So can you kind of explain the sport a little bit and give people a look at how it works basically?
1: Yeah, so just a quick overview is you can compete in the NPC, which is the amateur level, or you can compete in the IFBB, which is the professional level. There's a lot of local shows, and then there's regional shows and there's national shows. So you can kind of see a little bit that it's tiered. And as you go up, they're typically more competitive with higher caliber and competitors and more competitors, things like that. And there's, I think, oh my gosh, five or six national shows throughout the year. And that's your opportunity to earn a pro card. You're competing against the best of the best amateur competitors for an opportunity to earn your pro card. And then from there, you kind of start again and then you you compete as a professional.
0: What are the benefits of like being a pro? Why did you want to even earn your pro card?
1: (laughs) Such a good question.
0: It's so funny. There was like a couple, it was
1: not that long ago, it was a couple of months ago. And I just thought, I don't even understand why that meant so much to me. Like, why? <laughs> why did I- <laughs> Something that I just had my heart so set on and that I thought, I mean, I understand now why, because I've been doing a lot of work and a lot of reflecting on what I was actually chasing. And, you know, I think it started off very benign and I think it started off differently, but I don't even think I really knew what it represented. I just remember getting one of the magazines where you see the pro card winners in there. And I just thought, I want to be at that level. I want to prove to myself that I am that committed, that dedicated, and that I can achieve a really high level in this sport. You know, I can put my mind and my heart to anything. And I I think I can make it happen. And I think I have the potential to do that. I think... It's it's difficult now for me to look back into that mindset but you know I sort of I think that I thought it was going to bring me things that I thought were very important, things that I thought that I wanted like sponsorships. I just thought it was a very prestigious title that would bring me a lot of things.
0: So, for those that aren't familiar with competitions, basically it is a subjective competition where a panel of judges determines who has the best physique. And in the bikini level, which is where I competed as well, girls are supposed to be muscular, but not too muscular. You're supposed to be lean, but not too lean. You're supposed to have full muscles, but you're not supposed to be too big. And you're supposed to pose a certain way to highlight all of those features, but it is very subjective and you are being compared to other women on stage, of course. So it is a very interesting world and there are a lot of different layers to it. And I think obviously some people do do the sport for the right reasons, but especially with the rise of social media, there are a lot of people that are seeing it being glamorized and really like they are drawn to it for the glamour, for the attention because they want to have an eight pack and maybe the wrong reason. So you kind of touched on that in the last question, but what do you think would be the right reason to compete and what would be a wrong reason to want to compete? I can think there's
1: very few reasons I think that are a healthy. And when you say that, I'm like, you know what I would, I would venture to say, and I think I'm being generous here that less than 10% of people that compete in bodybuilding are doing it in a healthy way with a healthy mindset. Mm -hmm. And you'll see too, especially like as a coach, I see the type of people that are attracted to the sport and there's a very similar personality type that is attracted to the sport and there's a lot of similar backgrounds. So reasons to not compete are to lose weight, to, gosh, like don't compete if you're trying to lose weight, Don't compete if you have a history with an eating disorder. I kid you not, I had someone inquire with me and they told me a story about how they wanted to compete because something about their ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend was a competitor. Yeah, I mean good reasons to compete are if you if you want a mental and physical challenge and you have a very healthy relationship with your body, but even then you have to be careful because as healthy as your relationship with your body and your mind can be, this will push you to a new level. And I see people that they are very healthy in their mind and their body and they get to that stage level and they realize that it's it's serious what it what it does to you and how how it can distort what you're just your reality.
0: Right. Yeah. Even if you go in with like a level head, competing pushes you to extremes just in its very nature. And when you get to that point, nothing is the same after that. Once you have seen your body at that peak condition on show day, where you have veins popping out, you have striations, you have, I literally had an eight pack during my competition prep and all of these things. And then to go back to a quote unquote normal body after that is really, really hard to go from being super disciplined where your life literally revolves around competing and you have like iron willpower to going back to being a quote unquote normal person. All of those things are really, really difficult transitions. And you also run the risk of, you know, health issues with which you and I have both run into. And there are just all of these different layers of risk involved. So even if you are maybe an ideal candidate, which I would agree only 10% or less are people that are doing it for the right reason, doing it in a healthy, smart way, which you can never truly be healthy probably when you're getting stage ready and competitive on a national level. But there are, you know, ways that to do it that don't necessarily put you into like long term consequences. Yeah. I
1: just want to add to that, like absolutely. And I think, you know, I want to share that competing, I think sometimes I get very frustrated because I wouldn't change anything at all in my journey and my experience. I wouldn't change a single thing because it led me exactly where I need to be. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Having the now being able to look back and having the hindsight, I'm able to see, okay, I should how could I have done this in a healthier way? Because it, it did start off really great. You know, I didn't have a great relationship with food and it actually helped me learn more about food and become, instead of afraid of food, more empowered by food, by learning about macronutrients and things like that. And I felt like I was able to make informed decisions about what to put in my body, what worked the best with my body. But the thing is, is it just becomes such a fine line and a fine balance between this is empowering and this is obsessive and now it's detrimental. And I could have avoided that by taking more breaks, getting labs done, and creating more of a balance. But that's also the nature of the beast with competing is it's very, very easy to just get sucked right in. And that's 100% what happened to me. And that's that's on me. I really let it take over.
0: Yeah, I would say I had a similar experience. I wasn't a pro or anything. I competed at the national level, but I did basically like three preps back to back to back. And I think if I would have taken a period of more than – 12 weeks off from prep at any given time, I think I would have gained a lot more perspective as to what was a healthy, safe limit versus just continuing to push through and push through and push through because I was so like tunnel vision dead set on winning my pro card, getting to the top, like achieving the next, like physique change that the judges asked for or whatever it was. Like I just got so caught up in that cycle and the satisfaction of getting back up on stage and having made improvements. And I was like addicted to it and I didn't see all of the negative things that were happening to me. And I didn't see the potential consequences. Or if I did see them, I just honestly didn't really care at the time. Like I was gonna push through and I'm You
1: just don't even care. Right. And that's, you're also around, there was a time when someone asked me, because I lost my menstrual cycle and I was talking about that. And someone asked me, are you worried that you've lost your menstrual cycle? Does that like, are you worried about, you know, your fertility in the future or anything like that? And I was in, I think, prepped for my first Olympia and I just said, uh, I might care later, but to be honest, I don't care right now. So... <laughs> you just get sucked in and i see it in other people right now it's it's so it's just nuts and and yeah like i had labs done at the beginning of 2017 and they were telling me that my thyroid was suppressed that my testosterone was suppressed and i was just like well i'm already olympia qualified and this is my job and this is how i do things so yeah i just got to do it
0: <laughs> it's very very weird looking back one of my like justifications was well I didn't come this far to only come this far. So, like, I can't stop now, sort of thing. Even when I was having like negative side effects from prep, even when I was feeling like terrible, I still kept going because I had already gone so far. Like, I can't pull out now.
1: Yeah. And you're kind of in this whole, and when you're in bodybuilding, because the sport can be very, because you're not a normal person, you're not living a normal life. And so, what do you do? You hang around other bodybuilders who also aren't getting their cycle or who also are feeling super crappy. And so, when you say these things to them, you know, you just sort of get this reinforcement of like, yeah, man, I'm right there with you. Let's just keep team days off. Let's just keep pushing. Let's keep grinding. This is normal. How bad do you want it? there's very little voice of reason because everybody, I call it prep
0: psychosis because everyone's kind of in this prep psychosis and it just becomes so normalized. Yeah, that's so true. I always hung out at this super hardcore bodybuilding gym and I was a full-time student. So really the only people I was talking to were like fellow competitors and coaches. So i really didn't have a perspective until I took time off until I was forced to take time off for health reasons and realized that like a lot of the things that were going on were not normal, not healthy. And so my question for you is when was kind of that pivotal point for you where you realized like, oh shit, I've gone too far and I need to change something?
1: I mean, I think that I had, I knew that I'd gone too far at the beginning of 2017, but like I said, I was already Olympia qualified. And that whole year, I didn't really share on social media, and I've said this on social media before, I didn't talk about my prep a lot because it was so grueling and I was in such a terrible headspace that I was just sort of, I would talk about I was having a difficult time losing weight, but It's interesting, you know, I I look back to my first prep when I had a healthy body and I, I dropped quickly, consistently, predictably, body just very responsive. And that continued on for a time, but I never had more than 12 weeks off between a show. And that went on for a long time. I did 19 shows in like three and a half years or something like that, or three years. Yeah, three years. So 2017, I was a wreck. I was not dropping weight. That's when I had been told that my testosterone was suppressed, my thyroid was suppressed, and I decided to push on. So that entire prep, I was having a lot of issues. Random bouts of water retention where like all of a sudden it felt like a switch in my body would just get turned on and it was like I would just retain pounds of water. My hands would get, my forearms would get stiff. There was a time in prep where I did start dropping weight, but then the weight started coming back on. And I think things really started to go downhill after I had made it to the Olympia and I did well. And when I got home, I had, I just, I had been eating such low volume and such specific foods for three weeks because I didn't want any bloating. And this is so silly, but I ate like two of these salads that I really like that I make at home. And My body just freaked out. I still don't really know what happened. Probably some type of like leaky gut. I just don't even know. Yeah. And I put on like 10 pounds of water retention and it stayed for for two weeks. And it was super, super painful. And this is, again, like I don't even know why I didn't reach out for help then. But I continued to compete. I did my last show on like October 28th, the Sacramento Pro And I looked great the night before, and then the day of show, my body just started freaking out, probably a stress response, and I just started retaining pounds of water on stage. It was right after that that I started having really bad physical effects. My blood pressure was going all over the place. The bouts of water retention were more extreme. I was having headaches. I don't know if I just said this. Blood pressure changes. The bloating was out of control. I couldn't sleep. I just felt like so jacked up. So I took 10 to like 12 weeks off where I stopped tracking food and I stopped exercising. I only started walking. And I felt really good for a little while. I was maintaining 119 pounds. I felt incredible. Well, I didn't feel incredible, but I felt much better. (laughs) Then I had some health issues this year where of January of 2018, I stopped eating meat and I switched to eating a more vegan plant-based diet. And I started working out again and tracking macros again. And I gained 15 pounds in one month. So that's when I knew that something was not right. And that's when I started, I went to the doctor immediately. And that's when I really started kind of, I don't know, I'm still in the midst of that. I'm still figuring that out. But unfortunately it was like we talked about you see a lot of signs and symptoms that you ignore. And so I basically did for like a year. I kind of knew that I shouldn't have been competing and I was, and then things just really came to a head.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so- You said you went to the doctor right away. What has your experience been with healthcare professionals? Have you found like traditional Western medicine has served you well, or have you had to seek help from more like alternative medicine practitioners? I'm kind of curious about this for my own selfish reasons, but I I love kind of exploring the differences between the two.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you're right there with me. It was, I, I had a really bad experience when I went to my primary care physician Cause I went in and I just said, like, I have incredible amounts of brain fog. I can barely function. I can barely do my day-to-day. I have no energy. I'm winded going up the stairs. I've gained 15 pounds in a month. And like, you know, this list of symptoms. And I explained to him as well. I said, you know, I used to be a professional bikini bodybuilder. I'm a nutrition coach. I have a really good grasp on these things. There's absolutely no reason that I should be Gaining weight, I went from eating whatever I wanted and not exercising to monitoring my intake and exercising. And I've put on this weight, and it, it doesn't feel right. You know, I, I hurt to the touch; I was tender to the touch. And the first question he asks me is, "Are you eating a lot of sodium?" And I was oh. like, "No." And then and then you go into my fitness pal, and I'm like, "I'm eating approximately 1,100 to 1,400 milligrams per day." And, you know, cause you're just armed with all this information and, you know, just going on with this stuff. He did order labs, although he didn't order all the labs that I requested because I wanted to look more deeply in my thyroid and they'll just only measure that TSH, you know, then he's like, well, are you eating a lot of carbs now? <laughs> I'm um, just like, oh my God. I mean, I'm able to laugh now, but at the time I was just so scared and I cried for days after that because I was like they obviously have no idea what to do with me like those questions just made me feel so terrified and i don't know i just remember feeling so afraid
0: yeah that's it's so frustrating it's so frustrating to go to the people that are supposed to have the answers for you and they they just don't i remember at one point, I was getting ready to jump into my third prep in a row. I still hadn't gotten my menstrual cycle back, and it had been gone for maybe a year at that point. And I was like, "Okay, I just took three months off. I've been eating more. I've been training less. Like the basic I'm recipe, good, right? Yeah, the basic <laughs> recipe for you know getting it back is here, but I'm not getting it. So I went to my general practitioner. He took labs. Course, measured just my TSH, nothing else. And he was like, No, you're fine. Like, we can put you on birth control if you want a monthly period, or you can just keep waiting. Like, you probably just have to take longer off. But I mean, a year and a half later, I had like distinct markers for Hashimoto's, which I'm sure would have shown up because usually you are asymptomatic for years before you ever get symptoms like i'm sure that would have shown up if he had done the correct lab tests and like had actually dug deeper so you and i both have had kind of similar experiences with healthcare where they just aren't equipped to go deeper and i'm it's not necessarily their fault it's what they learn but yeah so who have you found helpful what approach have you found to give you some answers
1: yeah, I want to ask you quickly what you think about because yeah, it's just what they've they've learned and you know doctors are they're not really supposed to to be honest like they're just supposed to treat what's in front of them and what symptoms are present and in front of them. They're not really supposed to be digging for the root cause, which is why I like a more eastern approach to medicine which is or a holistic Like a naturopath or a functional medicine specialist, things like that, because they're trying to, they look at the system as a whole and they try to get to that root cause. I'm wondering though, it's just amazing these metabolic issues and things like autoimmune and things like that. I know that a lot of these doctors just, it is kind of like a specialty a little bit. And I would say that they're not equipped and they're just treating what's in front of them. But just with the frequency now at which this is happening, I'm wondering if things will change or what... I don't even remember what my question for you is going to be. It's just like...
0: I think for things to change and for like better medicine for everyone, the system is going to need to collapse and get an overhaul because this is a common thread with everyone I know who has a medical condition that's beyond like strep throat, a broken bone, you know, like the very straightforward things like my boyfriend Andrew has an autoimmune disease and really terrible food allergies that are super confusing. And basically, last time he went to his general practitioner, he had been experiencing anxiety attacks because his allergies had been so unpredictable. And so every time he sat down to eat, he would obviously feel extremely anxious and Basically, his doctor, after no psychiatric evaluation, after no like real conversation, prescribed him anti-anxiety medication and oh gave him an epi pen and he was basically like, "Good luck." And Andrew's like, really, oh. this is this is what you're going to give me." And the doctor, I kid you not, stood up and started leaving the room and said, "You came to me for help and this is how I can help you." And that was wow. like, I, I'm i just so angry even talking about it because that is so unacceptable. But at the same time, like doctors are a product of the system that they're in. Like they literally don't have time to see patients for more than 15 minutes. They are like compensated by pharmaceutical companies for prescribing medications. Like the system is messed up. The system is broken. And so the way doctors are treating patients is a product of the system that they're in. And that's why so many people or so many doctors that are taking good care of their patients that are helping people actually heal, they don't even take insurance because they can't. Because their business wouldn't be profitable if they took insurance with how long they spend with patients. But then it's like, I went to go see like thyroid and autoimmune specialist in Austin. And it was going to be like $500 for my first appointment, but I was going to see them for like at least an hour. So it's, it's like, it's, it's a catch 22 because if, if you don't have, if you're not like fortunate enough to have the funds to pay for someone like that, then you're just kind of stuck with someone that doesn't have the tools and time to even care for you.
1: Yeah. I feel so fortunate that, I mean, it's very expensive to get this treatment and it's been stressful. You know, it's stressful in that regard to add that on top of everything you're going through is, and you're like, Oh, I have to pay for all of this out of pocket. But you know, I wonder, sometimes I look back and I'm like, what do most people do or what would I have done? Had I not even known about this? There's some people I think they just, they don't even, they're not aware of these other practitioners and other ways to get help and medicine and treatment. So
0: yeah. Yeah. It's really overwhelming.
1: I know it's really sad.
0: So what has helped
1: you? So I've reached out to Nutrition Dynamic because Vince Pitstick, because I've seen him work with other competitors and he's a functional medicine specialist. And there was a functional medicine specialist in Portland, but I really wanted somebody that had worked with competitors before because I just felt like I needed somebody that understood what we had put our bodies through. So that was important to me. And we did a food sensitivity test straight away. And we found out that I had a food sensitivity to soy, very reactive to that. And I was like, oh, well, that's what I started eating every day, multiple times a day. And it directly correlates to when this added up. But to be honest, I think, you know, I will heal and I'll get that done. But to be honest, since I've started, things have actually just gotten worse for me. So just really trying to figure out what the heck's going on and the best way to heal my body.
0: Yeah. I can totally relate to going to get help and then things just getting worse. That's kind of the problem when there's so many layers to what's going on. And we did dig our bodies so deep into this like hole of illness that it's going to take a while to kind of climb out. And There are a lot of questions or a lot of things that could be going on. And again, testing is very expensive, not covered by insurance. So a lot of it is like trial and error. Obviously, we all have like our rough days and the days where we feel defeated and just want to sit and cry, like you said. But on your good days, like how are you handling it mentally? How do you try to stay positive through it?
1: This has been something that I have, you know, you're putting in a lot of work on your plan on executing the plan. But I would say the, all the work that I've done has just been internal mental. That's just been the the biggest hurdle because there are some days where it's usually days that I'm very tired to be frank. I just get tired of kind of coaching myself through this, but it's been, I've been happy because recently I've, I've had a big mindset shift. I just try to remind myself that I'm not on, part of this probably comes from competing where you're just constantly on a timeline. And so just removing that timeline and allowing myself to heal on my body's time and not expecting these kind of overnight results and just being really compassionate, patient, and loving with myself. It's a mess. I know that you know that it's a mess because there's so many things that come with this. Like the guilt of having feeling you feel like I did this to myself. I've had to work on forgiveness and just so much patience, love, and compassion. And it it doesn't come every single day. So trying to eliminate a timeline, there were days where I was crying and I just had to remind myself that nothing is permanent and that I'm just doing the best that I can. It's been a process.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a huge lesson in grace and patience and humility almost. I feel like – I don't know about you, but as a competitor, I kind of fell into the trap of like because I have a great body by my standards and by the sports standards and because I had my shit together with nutrition and training and I had like this amazing willpower, I was somehow – doing better than other people at life. And I kind of like looked down at other people that were maybe overweight or like not taking care of themselves, which is super hypocritical because I was literally like destroying my health. But I was like, oh, you don't know anything about health. You're not taking care of yourself. Like, being judgmental, not outwardly, but I would have those thoughts and that's so messed up and I can admit that now. But yeah, going through all of this has taught me so much humility, so much grace and so much patience that I don't know if I would have been able to learn it any other way. So going back to what you said, like at the beginning that you wouldn't change anything that has happened and you wouldn't change any of your decisions. I would say that like I'm on board with that too.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't change a single thing. I mean, it's helping me to see what's important. And I I was actually just joking yesterday because somebody was talking to me about meditation. I said, I feel like every day of my life and sometimes every moment is a meditation to be present because I'm anxious when I'm thinking about the past and how I've got myself into this situation. And I'm anxious about the future and the uncertainty that I feel with this. And just like you're saying, you're a coach, you've got your like, you've got everything together, you're, it, it's taught me so much about people think I'm crazy. when I say so that, but I really wouldn't change it because of the growth and the things that I'm learning about myself. And, and that's a big one for me is a, there's a big self love movement right now. And I'm so on board with that. But I, I'll be honest, I see some people that are preaching self love. And I'm like, I don't know if you, if you really know what it's like because I used to preach self-love as well when I thought that I loved myself and it was very easy to love myself when I fit this mold and how I was exactly how I thought everyone wanted me to be. And it was much more difficult to learn to love and I'm still learning to love myself when I don't when I'm not that person anymore. And it really comes down to maybe you can love yourself, but is it unconditional? So I'm learning about that unconditional self-love, you know, putting on 30 pounds, 30 plus pounds really shifts your perspective on things. But
0: Yeah, it's so easy to truly believe that you love yourself when you're in that position where you're fully in control of how you look, what you're doing every day, what you think you're in control of, you know, what people think of you as far as fitting the mold that you're supposed to fit And it's it's really easy to be happy there, I guess. I'm and I wouldn't say necessarily happy, like I wouldn't say that I was at my most confident or fulfilled, but I at least loved myself in kind of a shallow egotistical way. But like having all of those things questioned and like knocked down and being taught how to love myself from the inside out, like to my very core is exactly what needed to happen. Like, I think it's important to have the conversation like, oh, we need to love ourselves. But until you experience something like this that shakes you to your core, I don't know how else you can learn to really actually practice it. I
1: just, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Thank you for putting such great words to that because, and I, and I know that you get it, right? Because it's like, it is, it's very easy to love yourself, but are you going to love yourself when you're 30 pounds heavier? And if you can, and that's a whole thing with me about like, I'll get into that later if we go there. But yeah, I also, it's difficult to, you know, I try to explain to people or people are wondering why I'm having such a difficult time. And I'm like, look, my career is based on this. I'm a nutrition coach. My inquiries were entirely different, and people were clamoring basically to work with me when I was a bikini Olympian. and I'm the same person, but to some degree, I am getting treated differently, and people are looking at me differently. and I'm looking at myself differently. I don't have the same body. I don't feel the same. Things that I thought were important are no longer important. some of these are positive and some are negative. You know, like my priorities have shifted. I'm very, very grateful for that but my, I'm mourning the loss of how my body looks. I'm mourning the loss of my lifestyle. I'm not able to do a lot of the things that I truly love to do and have always loved to do. I don't feel like an athlete right now. There's just so many things that have shifted that have really just forced me to sit there and be with myself. And and really, there was a time where, and I'm still uncovering that, who am I? Who am I outside of this bikini competitor? I idea. And outside of my job and outside of all those things, like, it's a big self-discovery.
0: Yeah. That question is one that like just haunted me for months and months and months because yeah, that was my identity was I was a fitness competitor. I was a fitness influencer. I was a full-time student too, but I also just like that was my life. And once that chapter closed, I was like, well, now what the hell do I even do? Like, who am I if I'm not a competitor? And I've basically had to like, rebuild my identity from there. So, I guess if someone listening is struggling with these same questions or struggling maybe with their body image, like what are three things that they can do to rebuild and kind of recenter and figure out what is important and who they are? Do you have any insight on that? Oh
1: man, I'm trying to think about what I've been doing. I've just been doing a lot of turning inwards. So, I have just been sitting with myself a lot. And I think, well, for me, just somebody that's been so active, it was just so hard to be still and to be still with my thoughts and things like that. It's not always the best, but looking at what it's, I mean, it is to me, it's the best. It might not be the easiest. It's very uncomfortable to turn inward and look at these feelings and what is at the core of them. So really, really examining your fears and trying to build up a new story. These fears are just a story that you're telling yourself and it's usually not true. So I like, and for me, that's been a big thing is diving deep into that and figuring out, okay, so you are 30 pounds up right now. And let's just say like you're 15 pounds overweight What does that mean? Well, it means it impacts my business, it impacts this, it impacts that. And basically what it comes down to is it makes me feel like I'm not enough. And just working on that and working on your self-love through that. And I think spending time with people that just are so supportive and can help love you unconditionally and help you to love yourself unconditionally, ultimately it's your job. But I would say having a really good support system is huge taking the focus off of what your body looks like and what it does. That's a big one. So I really like, I'm a big fan of yoga because it is just about that movement. And that looks different for everyone. And it's just really body positive and it gives you the opportunity to go inward and be with yourself in a different way. And exploring and looking at other aspects of your personality, maybe making lists of things that you like or love about yourself physically, but also who you are as a person. Are you a good friend? Are you kind? Are you loving? Are you giving? You know, in what ways that are just entirely unrelated to your outward appearance? Are you valuable? And we did touch on this, but man, I had so much of my value tied up in how I looked. It's sad and embarrassing, but it's just like, because if you look at anyone else in your life and you think about how they look, people that you really love, and you just think that's not important at all. It's really not. And and the people that really love and care about you feel the exact same way about you. And so learning to give that to yourself is a big thing,
0: right? Like no one's going to show up to your funeral and be like, God, you know what I remember Lauren for? She just had the best abs or like she had the roundest glutes. Like on stage, her glute hamstring tie in was on point. Like no one's going to remember you for that stuff. They're going to remember you for the type of person that you were, how you treated them, what difference you made, not your appearance, not your body weight, not your clothing size, none of that.
1: Yeah, there's that. It's Maya Angelou quote. She said, people won't remember what you say or did. They'll just remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's been like, I've just had like a lot of, I'm, you know, this interview might be different and a year from now I might have more concrete answers. I'm just so in the midst of things, but I think even it's, it's interesting like to be around my family or my nephews even, like you're around children and you just think, they just don't even care. The things that we care about, especially in our minds are so other people aren't thinking twice about them.
0: Right. Yeah. Our perspective gets so skewed, but I absolutely love the conversation that we just had. And I think there's so much value to it. And I feel like we have walked a very similar path. So it was great kind of talking to someone that really understands these things on a deeper level. But on a lighter note, I've been kind of trying to end my interviews with some like rapid fire fun questions if you'd be down for that. Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. So what is the best way to start the day? The best way to start the day,
1: I would say I was on a big yoga kick. That was the best way to start the day for me. I I love that. So just waking up without an alarm on a sunny day with your favorite beverage and just connecting in your body with your breath. That sounds amazing to me.
0: Yeah. Starting with some stillness feels so nice. Okay. Where would you spend all of your time if you could? Gosh, just outside anywhere.
1: Either the, somewhere where it's like comfortable and and warm, where I don't need shoes, this could even be a park <laughs> or a beach or anything like that. So just being outside in nature, if I could, I would spend all my time there. but there there'd have to be like a hammock or something around too for naps, of course, because so
0: busy with all my free time. What is the best food combination with chocolate? It's a tough one, I know. I know. (laughs) I'm
1: a chocolate lover. I just feel like anything, chocolate with more chocolate, (laughs) chocolate with more chocolate. I sort of like chocolate with like sea salt chocolate Mm -hmm. with with nuts, maybe kind of into that.
0: I don't know. What's yours? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's either chocolate and caramel or chocolate and peanut butter. Probably chocolate and peanut butter. Mm, Okay. I'm not a big PB fan, so. Oh, really? I I just can't wrap my mind around that. Granted, I don't really like natural peanut butter. Like I like the peanut butter with a little bit of sugar added, you know, creamy, no stir peanut or like, yeah, no stir peanut butter. I am not a big fan of the like all natural peanut butter. I'm sorry. Oh, the all natural
1: (laughs) is like the only kind of nut butter I get. I go to the machine. So they do the the fresh grind like
0: that, But I don't like the jars that you buy. And like when you buy it, there's an inch of oil on the top because it's separated so badly. Like I can't do it. Yeah. It's so
1: messy. (laughs) I
0: know. All right. What is something about you that like annoys other people? Like if you have a roommate, what annoys them about you?
1: Oh, (laughs) Um, I probably do so many annoying things that I don't (laughs) even know. I think probably something super annoying about me I've been getting better at, though. I know that like I'm one of those people that sort of leaves a trail Wherever I go, like I go in and like I take my shoes off and then three steps later I put my keys down and then things like that. I also I'm so much better at this, <laughs> but I used to set multiple alarms like oh yeah 6, 603. like so, <laughs> so there's like I'm a multiple snoozer and I feel like people can hear my alarm sometimes and they're just like, dude, get up or Sleep. Like, just stop with the in-between. Uh, yeah,
0: that's actually one of my pet peeves that my boyfriend used to do all the time. And it drove me nuts because it like – it <laughs> ruins it for everyone. I know. Okay, last one. What is your favorite smell? My favorite smell?
1: The first thing that came to mind was fresh laundry. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So peaceful. I don't know why there's like – it's so – I just love that smell. There's like a, a street that I walk on sometimes. It's an apartment complex, I think. And there's times when the vent from, I think, the laundry room or something, but the, it, fresh laundry just gets like pumped out onto the street. Totally
0: know the exact smell. It's so comforting.
1: <laughs> oh, it's just so good. I just want to be wrapped up like in a big blanket with that.
0: Gonna go do that after this? Okay. Actually, the last question, because this is the Grind and Be Grateful podcast, we have got to know what is one thing that you're currently grinding toward and what is one thing that you are hugely grateful for?
1: There's sort of one and the same and we talked about this a little bit so that I'm just right now grinding for my health and that unconditional self-love. These are such interesting goals for me right now too because they're not so quantifiable or necessarily tangible and it's not as rewarding as prep either so I just feel like I'm in this totally new space but I'm really 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 trying to get my mind body and spirit just on track so that is what I'm grinding for and as we talked about I'm on my good days I'm incredibly grateful for all of this and I think that at the end of it And I'll, I'll be so happy. These interviews are fun to do because then when you look back in a year, such a great reflection to see where you were mentally and just what you were up to. And I just think that in a year I'll be even more, I'll have grown even more. And this is, I'm grateful. It's a blessing. It's enabled me to connect with people on a different level. And I think it's changed my entire life for the better. I really do.
0: Well, I'm so happy that we had time to sit down today. And now I'm sure everyone wants to come stalk you on the internet too. So where can they find you? The easiest place to find me is on
1: Instagram. So it's just at lauren.irick, I-R-I-C-K. You can email me laurenifbb at com and... I think, yeah,
0: laurenirich.com. Basically, if you find me on the gram, you can find me anywhere. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Lauren. I'm so glad that we got to connect and talk about this kind of stuff that we've just been commenting back and forth about on Instagram for a while. And yeah, I'm so happy that you are on the path to healing and finding some answers. And I'm right there with you. Yeah, thanks for being there. Thanks for sharing your story too. It's been so helpful. Of course. I hope you have a great rest of your day and thank you again for being on the show. You too. Thank you, Marie. Bye. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for spending your time with me on the Grind and Be Grateful podcast today. I'm super happy that we were able to hang out and share some good vibes today. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could take one second to share this episode with someone who you think would love it, whether it's texting it to your friend, linking it on Twitter, or posting a screenshot on your Instagram story. It is all super appreciated. And please leave the show a review on iTunes if you're enjoying it. Tell me what you think. Let me know what you want to hear more of this show is for you. So your feedback matters. Plus, it would really help me out on my mission to educate and empower women everywhere to become their very best selves. Thank you again for listening and supporting the show. And until next time, don't forget to grind to be grateful, my friends.